0: Or, or, or five lessons, five Wednesdays, we have been doing the uh, Exploring God's Word. It's a Bible study, in case there's anyone that hasn't been here for one of our Wednesday nights over the last month or so. But Exploring God's Word is a 12 week Bible study that takes you from the, the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. But obviously, we can't hit everything, but it's going to give you an overview of of what the Bible is, and it's going to it's gonna connect the dots of some things that maybe you've thought about, and uh, so again, I'm doing it for two reasons, the first reason is all of us need a refresher course every now and then on just an overview of the Bible, just to kind of get refreshed with God's word, we spend a lot of time giving you, you know, digging deep into God's word, sometimes you just need to see the big picture, and so, Number one, that's what we're doing. Number two is, I believe that anybody can teach these lessons. In fact, uh, most of you got your own booklet. If you don't have a booklet, if you didn't get a, a binder that has the lesson notes in it, you can find me or our sister, O'Shea, and we can get you a, a book that you can take, and you can start teaching it on your own. It's that simple. And so, uh, much of what I say and others have said, because I know Brother Perryman's taught one lesson, there's, uh, w- much of what we say is written word for word in this guide, this teacher's guide. But I'll add a few things now and then, and I'll try to tell you when I'm adding something so you may can write it down, but uh, I believe that it is a, a call of each person here to teach a Bible study, and I want us to do that. Um So let's let's go all the way back to the very first lesson and let's see if anybody remembers how many books are in the Old Testament. Does anybody remember how many books are in the Old Testament? 39. Is that right? Okay. How many letters is in the word old? Three. How many letters are in the word testament? You put those two together, you get 39. Does that make sense? That's how you know... How many books are in the Old Testament? Does anybody know, and I haven't taught you this yet, but does anybody know how many books are in the New Testament? 27. So here's how you figure that out. you got to do a little bit differently because new and old are the same, but how many letters in the New Testament? I mean, how many letters in the word new? How many letters in the word testament? What's 3 times 9? 27. Ah, you got that, Emma. See, now you'll never forget. Now, you got to make sure you do the formula right, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament. But uh, that's how it is. The the books that make up the New Testament span from the book of Matthew all the way to the end, Revelation, they're called the New Testament. Now, I don't have time to, to... This needs to be a sermon all in and amongst itself. But a testament... How many of you have heard this? Somebody's last will and testament. The word testament in in this indication, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, represents a covenant. It represents a testament. And, And the old is passed away. The New Testament... Null makes null and void the Old Testament. The law is done, and I uh, will get to some of that in various lessons. But read Hebrews, read Galatians, read Jesus' words, and you will find He said, I have not come to say that the Old Testament doesn't matter. I've come to fulfill the Old Testament. If you have a last will and testament, the only way that that last will and testament can be uh, used is if you die. Does that make sense? That legal word there is testator. That's what you are. And unless the one who has that last will and testament dies, then it cannot come to pass. And the New Testament brings into play a new covenant that came to pass when Jesus died. His death satisfied the old, and it unlocked the new. And so we're going to talk about that. There are five, or rather there are, um, there are eight authors uh, that we know of. And there, sometimes there, there's a little, uh, uh, you know, people debate who wrote the book of Hebrews. But, but we know that these eight authors wrote the, book, the, the books that take up the New Testament. It, it spans, they wrote it over approximately 50 years But it covers about a hundred years of history. From right before Jesus was born, all the way until the book of Revelation and the death of John the Revelator. And during that time, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, James, Peter, and Jude that wrote the books that we know of. Again, some don't exactly know who wrote uh, Hebrews, and and that is going to get debated until Jesus comes back five sections, the, the, the New Testaments broke up into five sections, just like the Old Testament was, but the New Testament starts with the Gospels. The Gospels, these are, if you will, the biographies of Christ, and then you have Acts, the book of Acts, that's the history of the church, and then you have the epistles, the instructions to the church, and then you have the book of prophecy at the end of Revelation, And those first four books, those Gospels, you kind of say, "Why, why four Gospels that a lot of times say the same thing? And then somebody may say, but how come sometimes there's a little difference between what one Gospel writer wrote and another? Are they different? Do they not match? Do they not agree with each other? The Gospels that were written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those Gospels were the biographies of Jesus, and they were witnesses to the life of Jesus. If, if we went outside right now and we were witness to a car accident and the police came and they would begin to talk to each one of us as witnesses, all of us would, would for the most part, paint a very similar picture with some differences. Because somebody may have heard the noise and they remember what the noise sounded like. Others would be able to tell you exactly what kind of car it was that got hit. Others would tell you the extent of the injuries while others would talk about what was happening around and that is what happens in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew's biography, if you will. Matthew's gospel. Matthew had a purpose when he began to write the gospel. He He was looking primarily at Jewish believers. And so because of that, you find that the book of Matthew, it it leans heavily that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that Jesus Christ is the King that was predicted by the Old Testament. Those Jewish teachings and, and the Word of God that came forth through those prophecies. Mark began to write a gospel, but he had a different group of people in mind Mark saw Gentiles and so because of that Mark wrote his gospel and he presented Jesus as a servant who ministered to the needs of the people he stressed that Jesus would do supernatural things and show you his deity by the miracles that he performed he paid close attention to what Jesus said because he wanted you to remember that Luke came about, now Luke is incredible, we'll get there in just a minute, but Luke, he was a, a, a physician, a doctor, he, he knew how to write things down, Luke presents Jesus as the son of God, it especially it focuses on the humanity of Jesus, it featured his compassion for the weak, his suffering that he went through, his, the way that he touched the outcast, those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke We call them the synoptic Gospels They have a common view Their their order is very much chronological But then you get The the, the last one, John And John, his Gospels are not His Gospel is not necessarily In perfect chronological Order, because he had a different Purpose, see Matthew, when he began to write Because Matthew was was so connected to the Jewish mind and the Jewish uh, uh, upbringing, Matthew really wanted to show you that everything the Old Testament talked about was pointing to this event right here. And so the book of Matthew, especially in some of your Bibles, I know the Bible I have here uh, many times, anything anything in the New Testament that is a quote from the Old, they put it in a little bit different format. And then I've been writing down, because you can go to the footnotes, and I've been getting to write down where they're quoting from so that I can see it fast. But Matthew, it's chock full of Old Testament quotes because Matthew wanted to show you that the Scriptures proved Jesus was the Messiah. Mark came around. Now, Mark had more of a Gentile-type mind. He was not Gentile, but he had a Gentile-type mind. He had a, a, a Roman viewpoint. Rome was, was still in power. And, and so Mark comes along and, and he's seen how the, the Roman government, it's focused on authority, it's focused on power. And so Mark says, if Matthew wants to prove by Scripture that Jesus is the Messiah, Mark said, I will prove to you by the authority that Jesus has, he's the Messiah. The authority he had over the demons, the authority he had over the sickness, the authority he had over those things. Luke comes along, Luke has a, a Greek understanding, and, and the Greek mind, it, it, it like culture and philosophy and wisdom and reason and And so, uh, some have called Luke the most beautiful book ever written because of how perfectly he allows everything to flow. And it's because the gospel of Luke reveals the beauty and the perfection of Jesus Christ. Perfection of his sinless humanity and his glorious deity. John comes in. And John balances those other three Gospels because while John talks about the miracles and while John talks about the suffering, John wanted you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. And so John, he talks about the deity of Jesus and much like the book of Genesis starts off, John started off, In the beginning was the word. Some have said this, that the other Gospels were anxious to record what happened. John wanted to interpret what happened. And, and, and I again, I don't have time to go into uh, the, the John. I took an entire class at, at, at Gateway, my, my Bible college, and I loved it. It was called John Seminar. It was a very small class, but we it was a very deep class. Every time you see a miracle in the book of John... It was not just a recording of that miracle, but it was showing you the deity of Jesus Christ. And so that's why you have that. The book of Acts, it's the historical account of the early church. It started from the moment that Christ raised from the dead, and it takes you all the way. In fact, really to be honest, Acts doesn't end. It just kind of stops. And I've heard a lot of sermons about Acts 29, and that's the next chapter in the book of Acts. That's where we are. We're part of that. The epistles comes: 21 books, letters, if you will. Uh, and, and I've told you this for the last nine years as your pastor. If you're going to read the epistles, you need to just take one one at least once in your lifetime, you need to read an epistle from start to finish without stopping, without paying attention to the, the chapters and the verses, because they didn't have those when they were written. They were written like a letter. And later on, we added chapter and verses. But read it as a letter. They weren't telling you how to be saved; they were telling you how to live because you're saved. And then you have, and, and those epistles—thirteen of them—are Paul's epistles. The Pauline. He wrote one to Rome, a church, and two letters to the church in Corinth. One to Galatia, one to Ephesus, and so on. And, And uh, and then he has three pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, offering instructions to pastors and leaderships in the church. The general epistles, Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John and Jude, they're written to a church at large, not necessarily to a particular church, but just to the church at large. In fact, many of these epistles would have been copied time and time again, and they would have been read in church services. And then you come to the book of Revelation that stands all by itself, it's prophetic in nature. John was instructed, "Write the things which you've seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be after." But let's get into it. And uh, I, you, you, you're introduced very quickly to John the Baptist. The Old Testament prophets had predicted that there would one that there would be one who would come that would make way. For the Messiah. Isaiah 40 said, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for behold, for the mouth of the Lord hath Spoken it, the book of Malachi says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, shall cut suddenly come to his temple. These prophetic words were fulfilled by one named John the Baptist, he was the son of Zacharias, the son of one of the high priests in Israel's history. You know the story, they couldn't have a child and God said, I'm going to do it and 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 Zacharias kind of laughed and God said, well just to prove this I'm going to make you mute where you're not going to be able to talk until the baby's born and so he had to go through everything writing on a chalkboard, if you will what he wanted to say and when that baby was born and they brought him to Zacharias and they had another name for him Zacharias wrote on that page Tablet. His name is John. John the Baptist grew and because of that John the Baptist began to preach. He, he began to preach repentance and water baptisms for the remission of sins. The Bible said that people would come from every city around and they would be there. He was baptizing them all. He got into some great conflict with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He called them out. He was a rough and tumble preacher, clothed in goat skin and camel skin. He ate honey and locusts. He was a rough man, but he preached that he was not the Messiah. He said, I'm telling you, there will come one after me in whom shoe, his shoes I'm not even worthy to lace up. I'm preparing the way. One day, Jesus, or John the Baptist, he was down there in the Jordan River, as he probably did almost every day, and he was baptizing people. And all of a sudden, into that scene comes Jesus. When Jesus is walking, John looks and and sees. You can read this in John chapter 1, verse 29, around that area. John sees Jesus coming, and this is what he said. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, I'm going to preach a sermon about this a little bit later, but I'll give you four or five months so you'll forget about it. And When I preach it, you're going to say, man, that was the best sermon you ever preached, Pastor. But John the Baptist, his dad was one of the high priests. His dad was of the tribe of Levi, a Levite. And so John, he was a Levite. In fact, if you look through his heritage, you would find that not only was his dad from the tribe of Levi, but his mother also was from the tribe of Levi. John had every right to stand in that priestly role. John, or or, or, in the Old Testament, Brother Perryman, he he went in, in in the... the lesson he did about the tabernacle, you would have found that there was moments when if you were bringing your your lamb to be sacrificed, you would have to bring it to a priest and the priest would have to examine that, make sure there's no broken legs, make sure he's not broken, make sure he's not wounded, and that priest would proclaim that that sacrifice is worthy to be slain. They would accept that sacrifice and they would slay it. This is how well the Bible fits together. That when Jesus walked on the face of the earth, there was a Levite, there was a priestly, uh, uh, from, from the priesthood, John, who was able to say, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. It followed the Old Testament protocols of how a sacrifice ought to be. And so it was that he was there. Jesus said, baptize me. And John said, no, no, I can't do that. Why don't you baptize me? I know who you are. Jesus said, no, I need you to do so. And so they baptized Jesus. And when he came up, he, he said, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode on him. And I knew him not. And it said that this is, uh, the, uh, it, the, he said, this is the Son of God. John chapter 1, around Verse 34. When Jesus left, well, well, let's back up for a minute. I told you about John. Now let's kind of go back. I won't spend a lot of time on this because you're gonna hear about it for the next month or so. Jesus was born. It occurred during the reign of Caesar Augustus. Attacks on the Roman Empire. Everybody was to go to their hometown and 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 be counted in a census. And so Mary and her and, and Joseph, they go, and while they're there, Mary gives birth to Jesus. Lay him in a manger. You know the story. The wise men come, the shepherds come. All of that happens. But you don't see much about Jesus up until he was about thirty years old, because the Bible just simply says this: Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. Oh, yeah, when he was twelve, he went into the tabernacle or the temple and he astounded the elders and and, and he when, when his when his mom and dad kind of left him and couldn't find him, they come back and he said, "Don't you know I'm about my father's business?" But at the end of the day, he obeyed his mom and dad and he jumped back on the horse and he went home with them. And nothing is really said until he was about 30 years old. Now, go to this next slide. I don't have time to go through this uh, the way that I'd like to because I'm afraid it, and you can't read it, I don't think. Uh, but hopefully you have this and, and you can go through it because this is a great place to slow down with people. What you see right here is is on one side of the scroll, you have the Old Testament prophecies. And on the other side of the scroll, you have the New Testament where those prophecies come true. I'm going to just rattle them off really, really quickly. And and, uh, just because it's a little cumbersome tonight to go through this, uh, because not all of you have your Bibles and they'd have to start switching back there and it would be a little difficult. But this is a place where you, if you're standing across, sitting across the table with somebody, you pick some of these out and, and, and say, okay, you turn to the book of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 is where the, 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 God tells the serpent, it's a, it's a curse, that, that you and the seed of the woman is going to be fighting for the rest of your life. In fact, you'll bruise his heel, but he's going to step and crush your head. It was that prophecy. And then you can get to the book of Matthew chapter 1 verse 20 and you will find that it was he was born the seed of a woman. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 tells you that Jesus was going to be born of a virgin and Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18 shows you it's true. Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10 says that he's of the tribe of Judah and Luke in chapter 3 bears that out. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 says that Jesus would be born at Bethlehem. And Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 shows that it's true. Psalms chapter 72 and verse 10 says that Jesus was presented with gifts. And Matthew chapter 2 bears that out. Now I'm not going to give you all of the the verses. Just like I said you should have this. But there's a prophecy that Herod would kill the children. It came true. A prophecy that you'll call him Emmanuel. It came true. A prophecy that he would be preceded by a messenger. And we see that in John the Baptist. A prophecy that he would have a ministry of miracles. And we see it time and time again. Even a prophecy that he would enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Luke 19 shows it. A prophecy of his resurrection. Absolutely. A prophecy of his ascension. It came to pass. It even is so detailed that it portrayed. In the Old Testament, he was going to be betrayed by a friend. John chapter 13 verse 21 tells the story of Judas. Not only does it say he was betrayed by a friend, but it gives it very specific instructions. Zechariah chapter 11 says he's going to be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Exactly what Judas did. He was forsaken by his disciples, accused by false witnesses. He was dumb before his accusers. He was wounded and bruised, smitten and spit on, mocked, his hand and feet pierced, crucified with thieves. His garments would be parted and lots cast. Psalms 22 says his garments would be parted. And John chapter 19 shows it. You hear that forsaken cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's first written in Psalms 22, and it comes to pass in Matthew chapter 27. In Psalms 34, it tells us that not one bone would ever be broken. And in John chapter 19, it comes to pass. Zechariah 12 says his side would be pierced. And John shows us that. It says that darkness would be over the land and he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. All of those prophecies come to pass. And I would encourage you, I, I don't have time tonight to do it. But I would encourage you to take time and show that this is not just something that came to pass. The Bible fits together so perfectly. And the Bible says this, there has not failed one promise of all the promises in the Word of God. And they need to know this, it's true. Jesus was baptized by John. After that, he goes into the the wilderness. Now, here's here's one of the places where you've got to kind of bring it back home. If you were here for the very first lesson, you remember we spent a lot of time talking about how how Adam and Eve reacted to the the serpent coming in and and tricking them. The serpent came to uh, 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 Eve and said, Does God's word say this? And Eve couldn't answer it. She didn't know what God's word said. And because of that, the serpent so subtly was able to twist God's word and get her to take that. Well, this comes to play again here in Jesus' life because as soon as Jesus was baptized, Jesus is led into the wilderness. And while he's in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, the devil comes to Jesus just as he came to Adam and Eve. You've got to know that Jesus was hungry his, his flesh and, and his physical body would have been worn down and so Satan began to look at it he said if you're the son of God Jesus if you're really the son of God why don't you pick up that stone right there and, and turn it into bread now don't you know that everything within Jesus's nature and, and that human flesh would have done would crave that I mean, at that point, if I'd have been fasting in 40 days and 40 nights, I'd have been chewing on the rock even if I couldn't turn it to bread. You start hallucinating. It looks like one of them Lambert's throat rolls, you know, and you just start chomping on it. But, but Jesus, watch what Jesus said, and it's something that matters even today. Jesus responded not with his thoughts. Jesus did not respond with his, his, his opinion. Jesus said, it. Is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus was quoting, I believe, from a verse in Deuteronomy. Jesus was making it very clear that that I can't can't fight you with my own strength. But I can work the word of God. And and the word of God, we talked last night uh, to the men in in, in men's prayer meeting. We talked about the word of God is not ever going to be shaken. The next time, Satan tried it again. Satan said, you know, tell you what. Let's go up to the city of Jerusalem. Somehow they climb on the very top of the pinnacle of that that temple. And, And Satan says, you know what, Jesus? If you're really God, you could jump off of this. And before you hit the ground, angels would pick you up and protect you. And Jesus said, it is written. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And finally, the devil tries one more thing. He takes him to a high mountain and there shows all the kingdoms of the world. And he says that, Jesus, if you would just fall down and worship me, I'll give you all of those kingdoms. And Jesus quotes the word of God and he commands him to leave and devil leaves and Jesus walks from that place into a, one, the greatest ministry we'll ever see on the face of this planet. Bible says he came to Nazareth where he was brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. They brought him the scroll of the writings of Isaiah. Have any of you ever been to a synagogue before for a service? Not one. I was able to go to a synagogue. If you ever get a chance to, it's very interesting. You may not understand a lot of it because they, they do do a lot in Hebrew but, but it would be an incredible experience for you just to go slip in. I don't normally tell you to go hang out at other churches, but it'd be incredible for you to go take it. It's a little different. When I was there, they, they've kind of lost their reverence. And so when we were there in the synagogue, I'm awed by it. And, and you had people carrying on conversations across the aisle. It was kind of very irreverent, but I guess they'd gotten so used to it. But you get these people. These rabbis, they come out and they bring these great big Torah scrolls. Torah, the first five books. They bring that out and they would unroll it. And they would begin to read and they they tend to read in a very sing-song chant. And this would have been similar to what would have happened in Jesus' time. He goes to the synagogue. They put in Jesus' hand one of the scrolls of the writings and the prophecies. Jesus, I can just see him. He's kind of flipping through it or turning it, however you do scrolls. And he goes to the book of Isaiah. And there he begins to say, The Spirit, and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. He hath sent me to heal up the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of the sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. They had heard that all their life. They knew it was a prophetic word. In fact, they really inside desperately longed for that prophecy to come true. And Jesus just simply closes the book and he says, today, that scripture is fulfilled. They may not have understood it, but it didn't take him very long to walk out of that place and he began to open the blinded eyes. He began to raise the dead. He could touch a leper or he could speak to a leper and they were cleansed. The lame walked, the deaf heard, the mute spoke. What's very interesting during this time is as soon as Jesus starts his ministry, John the Baptist is imprisoned. Remember, John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that he must increase. John didn't realize it would cost him his life, and Herod imprisons him. And while John is in prison, and knowing that it's not going to look good, John, even though he knew Jesus came, He hasn't seen what's going on. And John the Baptist sent some of his disciples to Jesus and he said, I want you to ask them this question. Are you the one that should come or shall we look for another? Not that John the Baptist doubted, but there in his prison, he had to know for sure. And so Jesus answered and said this, he said to John, he said, I want you to, or he told John, the, the Baptist disciples, he said, I want you to go back and tell John. I want you to tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. How I've opened blinded eyes, that the lame have walked, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf are hearing, and the dead are raised up, and the poor are hearing the gospel preached unto them. Now, we're going to end right here, because this is the end of this lesson And this is one of those lessons that kind of leave you hanging because you want to go real quick to the next. But here's the problem. And and you say, well, Brother Buford, you're kind of ending early. That's okay. Because you can't teach a Bible study everything you want in the time you have. Because if you're not careful, you'll keep giving them one more point, one more point, and pretty soon three hours have gone by and they're falling asleep and they're never going to invite you back. I forget who it was was it P.T. Barnum or, or one of them said you know don't give them everything leave them hanging so they come back you know of course he was talking showmanship but leave them hanging next week well not next week because next week is Thanksgiving week but the week after that we're going to talk about the new birth that Jesus told Nicodemus we're going to talk about what Jesus taught in some of his parables and we're going to get to Calvary and the resurrection and the great commission But I I can't do that all in the next 15-20 minutes So we're going to stop right here But see this is the problem That so many had with Jesus' ministry They thought for sure All of those prophecies in the Old Testament Was going to be someone that was going to be born a king Raise up a great army And deliver them like Moses delivered them out of Egypt Or deliver them like some of the judges delivered them from from their captors or things like that. But they misunderstood the prophecies. No longer was Jesus concerned about the physical. The Old Testament, it's all about the physical captivity, physical captivity and and, and physical uh, exodus. Jesus said, I've not come necessarily to do that. I've come to to free your soul and so he didn't come preaching as one commentator said he didn't come preaching revolution he came preaching repentance he taught us Hebrews says that we have not a high priest that cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities but in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin so let us come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and that help in time of need Jesus' ministry set the stage for everything else that happens in the New Testament and that was He never refused anyone no one was turned away his message, his invitation was universal. If anybody thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. But the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And he began to prove that. Next week, we're in our next lesson, not next week, but our next lesson, Uh, which be the Wednesday after Thanksgiving we'll talk about the new birth that he promised that sets it all up but Jesus came for a purpose and we're experiencing that today I want us to stand And, and the miracles that Jesus did they still work today the invitation that Jesus gives it's still here today and that salvation that Jesus talks about is for us today. You cannot get to the to the acts. You can't get to the, the church. You can't get to salvation unless you walk the path that Jesus took. You gotta remember that he was born. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. It's more than gifts, it's more than trees and, and, and decorations, and I like all that. I don't like putting them up, but I like them. But we celebrate, you need to remember, he was born. He was born because the Bible says that a spirit doesn't have any flesh and blood, and so God, in his eternal understanding, he couldn't die. God can't die. Can you imagine we had this discussion last night in prayer meeting? Can you imagine if God died? If for three days there was no God, he was lying in a tomb. It can't happen. So God became flesh, he took on a life. And it was the humanity that passed. Just as important as it is for us to understand the deity of Jesus Christ, we also have to understand the humanity of Jesus Christ. And we're going to do that. Why don't we just pray that God would continue to open our eyes and open our hearts to receive what He has. Father, I thank You today. Lord, as we go through sometimes a simplistic view of Scripture, but Lord, even in those those simplistic fast moving things I see the handiwork of God throughout the pages of the Bible Lord to see how perfectly things fit together that you can't have the church unless you have the death bearer and the resurrection of Jesus Christ but you can't have that unless you have a prophecy And Lord I'm thankful that you have seen fit not to give up on humanity there in the Garden of Eden but Lord you had a long term plan that spanned thousands of years Lord, what we're experiencing right now as the child and children of God is all because you had a plan. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And I thank you for that, Lord. And I ask that you would let us go our separate ways. Would you bring us back the appointed day and the appointed hour?